Blog Talk Radio. I can't say
Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. The <laughs> training classes. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got that starting tomorrow. Good, good. Two to four, the training classes. I, I, I might be able to make a two to four. <laughs> huh? You say what? I might be able to make Make two. a two to four. Yeah. Is it is it the whole time frame or is it broken up? You got to be at the beginning because I got some things I got to do. Well, no, from anyone who wants the training will be here from two to four. Okay. Cool. And we'll be training those who, you know. Okay, whoever shows things, up. Whoever shows up. Okay. So that's where we're going to do it now. We'll see. You know, because we were finding ourselves going back and forth, you know, this day, that day, where mm-hmm. all was training this day. So we're going to just gonna train everybody at the okay. same time. Cool. cool. But Kajir is in, he's in the house. Yes. And uh, he's uh, yes. part of the family now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because like I always say, once you come through that door right there and you get on the radio, right. you become part of the uh, family over here at Eaton Media Services. KBOB 89.9. Well, we tell our story. What we do, our way? Our way. That's what we do, huh? So Kajir can tell his story. He's going to tell it to us. Okay. Gonna be tell- so, yes. hey, tell a family member, tell a friend, call somebody up, you know, tell them Kajir's on the radio, and he's going to tell us all about that development that's taking place right at the heart of Black Wall Street, Greenwood, and uh, it should be interesting and be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like that. So I'm just like, we're going to take a break. So and we're going to be right back here on KBOB Welcome back, KBOB 89.9. And uh, in the studio, Kajir, how are we doing, man? Let me get you on, uh, get you up on volume right here. Okay. Doing well. Thank you, Bobby. Great, great, great. Yeah, welcome to uh, the show. And uh, first of all, yeah, pull that a little closer to to your mic. Yeah, there you go. I'm sorry. I should have adjusted that better. How's that? Oh, that's better. Much better. A lot better. So, great. So, welcome to the show. And uh, this is where we tell our stories our way, you know, and uh, that's just what we do over here at KBOB 89.9. First of all, before we get into the real good stuff, where are you from, man? So, uh, grew up in Oklahoma for the most part. Um, Originally born in Afghanistan. Uh, My family and I immigrated here. Gosh, it's 1975, so whatever. I'm not very good at math, but that was a while ago. But you know, consider myself a an Okie for the most part. That's you know where we uh, where we were raised, and you know, 
and a proud one at that. So, and a Tulsa for, you know, the most, most of my adult life. So been here really since the late seventies. So you went to school here in Tulsa? Sure did. Where did you go? Sure did. So uh, middle school and high school at Casha Hall and then, you know, afterwards college and law school, but um, you know, the high school and middle school years here in Tulsa. In Tulsa. Where did you, where did you do your um, college? So college at the university of Chicago up in Chicago and then law school at OU and then, you know, OU. What was that like? Oh, you. Um, it was good. You know, I'm a Sooner. I grew up rooting for the Sooner, so <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was nice it was to Boomer Sooner. Huh? Exactly, Boomer Sooner, and uh, it was nice to do it with a uh, you know while I was in law school. Unfortunately, it was not the best uh, OU football years. I got uh, two years of, or excuse me, one year of Schnellenberger and two of uh, John Blake. So okay, oh. okay, yeah. So late '90s. It was an interesting time in Norman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting time. Huh? What was your degree? What did you? Uh... Graduate, undergrad. undergrad. So undergrad, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, uh, well, my dad, my father was a physician, and like most kids of immigrants, you know, your your family wants you to be a professional of some sort. So they had um, uh, medicine in in mind for me, but I don't think I had that in mind for myself. So I, <laughs> I got a psychology degree, uh-huh. uh, undergrad, and the whole plan was to go to medical school. And then you know, when it came time, it was just that just wasn't for me. You so. just wasn't feeling that medical, huh? No, I don't think it was feeling me either. But mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think I was feeling it either. And then you know, like just about anybody else who graduates from college with a liberal arts degree, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do for money? I better figure something out. So I thought, <laughs> mm-hmm. let me uh, let me try this law thing out, and then went to law school and. Worked on that for a while. Huh? Yeah, worked on that for a while, and then you know, great experience. Had you know a lot of met a lot of great people. Did some really cool work, and and then you know just sort of, I say I'm a reformed lawyer now, like uh like a lot of my my former colleagues, and you know you do that, you you get what you need to get out of it, and then move on to, you know, move on to things that are at least in my mind a little more important. I think some of being a lawyer is you you're always working on other people's problems, and I thought, well, let me start causing some of my own and. Mm-hmm. See how that is. What type of law did you practice? So I was uh, what was called an IP litigator. So we, oh, the yeah. practice I was with, we mm-hmm. litigated patents and trademarks. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, if you, you had a, you know, you were a big company or you were somebody that had a, you know, you had an invention and, you know, you thought somebody was infringing your patent. We were the people you hired and we went to court and taught the judge and the jury about what the patents meant. And then hopefully you know, got them to believe that it meant what we said it meant and what you think it meant. And then, you know, proved either infringement or, or defended you from it. And, and, you know, either let you continue to do what you were doing or, you know, had somebody stop what they were doing. Okay. In yeah. Oklahoma too. So that's interesting. Hmm. Well, no, not a lot, not a not lot of that work. No, uh, I was with a firm out of, uh, well, we were, the firm shall remain nameless. Given okay. <laughs> given okay. It, uh, yeah, you can do that. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, no, it's uh, they're they're not getting the best publicity right now. But no, <laughs> I was out of their Dallas office, and we, you know, we represented clients all over okay. the, the globe. Gotcha. And most of our gotcha. most of our cases were in Texas. We we kind of started a a little bit of a practice that involved um, some federal courts in in okay. you know the Northern District and mm-hmm. the Eastern District of Texas. And so we just did a lot of work there, and then did a lot of work at you know, a little bit of work in DC and mm-hmm. some work overseas. So, mm-hmm. but it was fun. A good experience. Green art. Green art. Yes. Tell us about it. How did it At, get started? What, tell us all about it. Sure. For those of us who don't know. Sure. So green arch is a mixed use development right there in, in, uh, in deep Greenwood, the, uh, Southwest corner, excuse me. Yeah. Southwest corner of Archer and Greenwood. And so green arch really is a, 
it's sort of a culmination of a few years of looking at, so I'm helping a, uh, a local family foundation. Um, my wife is, is one of the trustees. It's called the Hilly Foundation. And so oh. the Hilly Foundation was created by her parents, Joe Bob and Marianne Hilly, back in the late 1990s. And mm-hmm. so they really, their scope has been local in its philanthropic activities. And mm-hmm. at the time, I sort of started helping them with some of their investments. They were looking at, look, we're, we're investing, you know, like other philanthropic bodies we're doing you know your your equities your fixed income you know we we want to do some real estate and you know marianne and uh, which is maggie's mom another trustee and then maggie decided you know if we're going to do real estate investing why don't we do something locally and then why don't we also invest in and in and around the community in which they grew up they're you know maggie and her two sisters are all booker t grads and her dad you know their company was predominantly in downtown Tulsa. So they, they made the decision, well, let's focus in and around the downtown area. And, you know, as a part of that, and then really kind of looking at just the surrounding area, Greenwood was always, you know, I, I went to school with uh, some of Jim Goodwin's kids, Joey and mm-hmm. I are classmates and okay. Jenny's just a little older than, yeah. than I am. So we sort of, you know, had a sense of, okay, Greenwood is, mm-hmm. is here and it's just, you know, it's not really, it's really not being used to its full potential. It really has so much potential and, and its history is, is equal parts magnificent and tragedy. And that really, you know, that should be an area that we should look at. Let's look at trying to, you know, trying to do something down there. So we got the opportunity to work um, with Ruben Gant and he was at that time, the executive director of the Greenwood chamber and Greenwood CDC. And, and they had just decided at that point in time that they wanted to, they had an option over on the land where the ballpark is currently situated. And yeah. so they decided, Hey, for the good of the city, let's swap that option for some land that TDA had just immediately to the South. And so we got involved as helping being the development partner for what eventually became uh, green arch. And then what's happening across the street, 21 North Greenwood and, uh, and Greenwood rising, but green arch was, that kind of first leg of sort of doing something locally that the Hilly Foundation wanted to do. And then also kind of filling a need, at least at that point in time, when we did that, you know, there really was not a lot of multifamily housing downtown. You had a few projects, but you really didn't have anything that was sort of focused on trying to be on the, on the more affordable end of the market. And so we came up with a program um, utilized, you know, some, some facilities from HUD and did Green Arch as an affordable mixed-use project right. that has 70 apartments and then uh, the, retail. the retail that's in there now. Mm-hmm. Retail. So <clears throat> what are some of the retail businesses right there? Sure. So what we have in Green Arch right now, um, we've got uh, Blueprint Studios, which is an exercise and spin studio run by a, a pretty fantastic uh, young lady, Marquita Owens, and, and her husband. Um, they do you know really cool stuff. If, if you're wanting to get a spin class on, you know, get in touch with them. She'll definitely get you sweating Mm -hmm. right next door to her. We have silhouette uh, sneakers and arts. That's Vanita Cooper. And I think she's pretty well known, Mm -hmm. done a great job. I mean, just pretty amazing entrepreneur, very, you know, young lady, but she's just tremendous and had a great vision. And it really, you know, we thought fit tremendously with, uh, with, you know, kind of what we envisioned, um, you know, Greenwood becoming. And it's interestingly enough, the old Greer shoe stop or shoe store, you know, the plaque is right in front of her front door. Wow. 
is 100% serendipitous. We had no no idea until how that happened. Huh? Yeah, no, it's funny. I mean, construction was going on, and and um, Coop said, "Has that plaque always been there?" I said, "Yeah, that's you know been there since you know Green Arch was you know before Green Arch. You know so mm-hmm. those were put in the ground you know 20, 30 years ago, and so yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting. Uh, next door to Silhouette, there's uh, the Black Wall Street Gallery, Art Gallery. You know they do good stuff. Uh, next door to them is Lefties. And then next door to lefties is uh, Black Wall Street Liquid Lounge. And we're getting ready. I don't want to steal our thunder, but we're getting ready to have a new commercial tenant. I think the waistlines of Greenwood are going to expand because her um, her pie making and cobblers are pretty awesome. And I think I'll just go ahead and steal it. But uh, the cobbler mom is opening up a location. Oh, because she's been way out. Yeah. Yeah, she's up yeah. in Turley right now. Yeah. Oh, the cobbler yeah. mom. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know who yeah. that is. The cobbler mom. <laughs> yeah, Joyce is a Joyce Horton. Yeah. yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet lady. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think we're gonna we're gonna all gain about ten, fifteen pounds. Yeah, yeah. Her I, I know her quite well. Mm-hmm. Nice lady. Yeah, nice lady. So the development across the street is taking place. I know you guys got the streets blocked off right now. Can't go all the way down there. Tell us a little bit about what the structure is going to be and what's gonna be on it. The inside of it. Sure. So, uh, Bobby, two two structures. So, what is immediately at the corner um, with the steel going up right now? That's Greenwood Rising. So that's going to be the the Greenwood History Center that's being constructed. Um, that's the Tulsa, you know, Race Massacre Commission. That is the the building that you see immediately at the corner. The taller building that sets back a little bit to the um, south is 21 North Greenwood. That's going to be another mixed use project, but instead of residential this time, it's going to be class a office space above ground floor commercial and then the roof um we decked the entire thing and that's going to be event space slash restaurant yeah, space yeah. slash meeting space and you know i think that's that's going to be a pretty fun thing the, yeah. the views from up there are are pretty cool kelly chris was just in here last week talking about that you know maybe doing some cooking and stuff up in there it's going to be a mo- like a multi-purpose area yeah. right Absolutely. Yeah. We, the way we envision it is we think it'll be, you know, different things on different days, different Mm -hmm. things at different times of the day. But, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have the whole rooftop be able to be occupied is that, you know, we, you have the ability to, you know, if you want to have, you know, if Kelly and the gastronome and their chefs are doing a a dinner one night, that can be part of it. The next night, it could be a, an office party or Mm -hmm. a wedding reception or a, you know, just a, just a concert. I mean, there's going to be facilities up there to have, um, you know, bands, you know, the occupancy will be uh, just under 500, 499 people. So, you know, you can do a lot of different things mm-hmm. on that rooftop. So downstairs on the very first floor, are you going to have uh, restaurants and things like that down off in there where people can constantly come? Yeah, we hope so. We, you know, we're certainly marketing it towards uh, retail and uh, both of them and hospitality. Yeah. So we hope to we hope to have something on that north corner that's adjacent to Greenwood Rising that would be, you know, we're we're hoping it's going to be something like, um, you know, that's family friendly. Um, people are able to sit outside. One of the neat things about the way we designed the building is that we recess the first floor. So in this age of COVID, um, everybody is is hoping to have patio space and outdoor space that they can control. Well, what we did is instead of having that be in the street. We just recessed our, our first floor, but kept the second and, you know, through fifth floors at the same dimension. So basically, the entirety of the first floor has a 17-foot wide patio area that's, you know, just as a part of the building. And so, 
you know, hopefully you'll have a food service, hospitality service right there that is, you know, going to have tables outside mm-hmm. and, and constant activity. You know, we're mm-hmm. looking for, you know, other retail that would be um, complementary to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd love to see, we'd love to see more, you know, I kind of, to me, kind of the model of, of what I see Greenwood retail is destination retail, like what uh, Vinita has over at Silhouette. Mm-hmm. And then also just places like Liquid Lounge where folks can just come together and, and, you know, just kind of marinate in what Greenwood's all about. Mm. Now, main question, is it going to be affordable? Yeah, we have the we have the uh, flexibility to make it so. Now it's a you know it's a different building because Greenwood. you know in their different pricing as far as African American community and professional uh, communities, people with big money can come down and just dominate and move the little man out. He won't get a get a chance to uh, display himself down there. You know, so are we going to have some comparable type pricing or where we can? Are you, are you guys going to pick and choose or is it going to be just open season for everybody? Well, so really that's kind of the interplay between the two projects. And I'm glad you brought that up, Bobby. So really, if you look at what 21 North Greenwood is, it's, it's a class A property. So it's going to charge class A rents, um, you know, for the more affordable side of the market. That's what Green Arch is to us. And that's, you know, that was by design. You know, we wanted, you know, when we did, green arch and then looked at what 21 was going to be we really wanted to have you know we wanted to build a community we didn't want it to be a one note you know like you can go to certain parts of dallas and chicago and everything looks the same and that's because developers look at it from one income model they're like okay well this part of town can afford can sustain this amount of rent so everything's going to look that way and that's really not what we did not want to happen in Greenwood. Well, because it just that's never been the history of the district. I mean, the district has always had a variety of a variety of offerings and a variety of tenants. You know, and, and I say tenants, they were owners, you know, in, in its heyday. And so Green Arch is going to be the more affordable side of the street. And that's by design. 21 North Greenwood is going to be, you know, commercial. The higher echelon. Of- high, yeah, high, a little, little bit higher end, but not certainly not outside what, you know, what would be charged for that same product if it were on the other side of the tracks, if mm-hmm. it was at, you know, fifth and Boston versus Archer and Greenwood. And and that's very much by design, because I think from our perspective, you know, there's only one street in this city. It doesn't matter, you know, where you go in the world that's known and that's Greenwood. And, you know, we all know yeah. Greenwood because of the tremendous success that the men and women who made that district great in the first place you know we, it's known because of its success and it wasn't when you when i what you're describing to me is you have the finances to create this space and you're building off of the history of people that have that have been there because you just mentioned everybody knows about greenwood the legacy of greenwood but me as i'm walking as i'm envisioning what you're saying all I see is gentrification. I'm gonna just be straight up honest with you, Kajir. Sure. I see that. Okay. So with you building what you're building, what is your take on making sure that you know the it's people, not gentrification. That it's not gentrified and people mm-hmm. feel welcomed in that space. Well, period. Well, I think you know, unlike. Well, first of all, you know, we can get into the semantics of what that word means, right? So I think you need to look at. And again, I don't feel any need to defend any of our actions. You know, we've 
this is not the first time somebody said that what I we're mean, doing is gen- no, 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 yeah. you're, no, you're right. I don't, you, and you're entitled to your opinion on that. I think it's, and it's valid, but I think, if, I think the, the source of the word is important, right? It's gentrification mm-hmm. at its heart is the displacement of people, right? Okay. And so I think if you look at what that was when we acquired it, there were no people. Those were empty parking lots, first, right. first and foremost. Right. Uh, second, yeah, we are building on the legacy of what made Greenwood great, which mm-hmm. were tremendous businessmen and women. Right. These were folks who weren't just good by Tulsa standards. These were good by global standards. Right. And I think if we want to look at the causes and the reasons for why Greenwood was in the shape that it was in, in the 80s, the 70s, the 90s, right. you know, that's, unfortunately, that was before our time. Right. We, but you're right. It was before, quote unquote, our time. But when you talk about the space and you talk about Ruben Gant and what he did now in, in that space, and you mentioned that you're dealing with philanthropic dollars. Mm-hmm. I'm more than sure you mentioned HUD. So you've received CBDG grant money. No, ab- absolutely no, wrong. No, no, no federal funds whatsoever. No, that's absolutely wrong. So the program, you know, no, the program we took advantage of, it's called a 221 D4 program. So that's a mortgage guarantee that's for our lenders for building market rate housing. So CDBG okay. dollars is a totally separate program. So okay. the CDBG program and the HUD multifamily program, they're, you they're guys all, don't have anything to do with that. Huh? No, there's, it's, yeah. it's under the same agency, but those are totally okay. and completely separate. And CDBG dollars were used by the Tulsa Development Authority to acquire that land when they did. Right. But that is not nearly, so, not even the same family. So, as, but you said HUD. Sure. And two, what was it, 226? 221 D4. 221 D4. Those are federal dollars. That are those aren't federal dollars. That's a federal guarantee. That's a federal guarantee if we go belly up on our mortgage. Okay. So our lenders covered up. Okay. So, so it's a mortgage. Okay. It's a mortgage guarantee. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So yeah, let me let me finish answering your question about gentrification. So the again, what we look at is you know Greenwood in its heyday wasn't a one note community. It wasn't hey I, I we're gonna make things that look like this. You had some of the best and brightest in that neighborhood. And in our opinion, it would be foolish to not have the neighborhood reflect the 21st century version of that. And so mm-hmm. I, and the other thing, I think you, you specifically made the point of, you know, people that look like me, are they going to be made to feel welcome? Well, I guess I would ask you, do you feel welcome at Green Arch? I mean, I only go to um, <clears throat> Liquid Lounge. Sure. That's the only, and I, I'll stop, and but I just stopped into some of the other I've places. been at all of them, from the tennis shoe store over there, Lefties, the Black Wall Street Gallery, I, everybody, Liquid Lounge. And uh, I, it, it's good to see black entrepreneurs, black, back down at home, but I call, you know, that's Greenwood. Oh, yeah, back, back down at home there. Uh, my concern is that uh, they put the ballpark down there, which I personally don't think should be down there. That now that's just me. That's just my personal opinion. Well, I, don't, I don't think it really should be down there. I think Ruben them just kind of gave it up and boom, boom, did something. I don't know what they did, but anyway, and I know Ruben quite well. Uh, but I just, I just think that I don't want to see Greenwood just disappear. You know, I don't want to see, I want to see black people down there doing stuff along with you 
what you're doing, you know, working, because we may not always have the black dollars to build big old buildings and big things. So if you have blacks working with you, you know, that's where I think that the trust and everything going to come in. And the, the question about gentrification is going to be minimized to a low. No, I, I hear you. I think, you know, again, I, like I told you before, I, I don't see any need to have to defend anything that we've done, but I, I will say this, our track records, track records speak for itself. itself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, we have the most diverse group of tenants in the city and right. Yeah, you, know, you do. I mean, and, and again, and it isn't an accident. It isn't, Oh, okay. Well, you know, let's wait for this one entrepreneur to pop up. Let's wait for this coffee shop to pop up. Let's wait for this gallery to pop up. It's by mm-hmm. design. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, I think, if we're looking at the community as a whole and, you know, what is wrong with a kid who was born in Afghanistan being uh, inspired by the Gurleys and the Franklins of the world? Mm-hmm. Nothing, yeah. right? Because the Greenwood story is not, is not limited solely on race. It. It's not, right. I mean, it's, right. it's, it's an American story. It is exactly what makes this country great, which is, you know, these, these men and women, they said, okay, well, we're going to carve, carve this out for ourselves. And, and yeah, you don't want us to be successful that part of town, but we are anyway, right. you know, what's the best revenge in the world, right? Success. Right. And so those men and women did it with obstacles that none of us can imagine, you know, and then did it twice and really right. did it three times, three, times. three right. times. Right. And so I think the culmination of that story is the inspiration of people from all backgrounds, mm-hmm. you know, not it, it may have started as one story, but it's, that's not the way it's going to end. Right. And I do think it's important, particularly as developers, to not just pay homage to the past, but to allow the future to take hold by adhering to the, the, you know, adhering to the levels of their vision, which was, I think it's foolish to sit here and think that, oh, well, Greenwood if we hadn't had the massacre and if we hadn't had the IDL come through and if we hadn't had some of the, you know, societal changes that took place in the, in the fifties and sixties take place would look exactly as it did then. No, No, these, these men and women would have made this district look bigger bigger and better. You know, I got a chance on the third tier of Greenwood to witness it. I was a young boy and I used to go to the Rex theater and go all up. My my dad and them was down and, and we, I got to see it from Greenwood to Pine all the way to Archer. Sure. All those businesses. It was, a, you know, uh, Big Ben, McKinney's, Taylor Shop, the Duke of Earl, uh, Spans Pool Hall, you name it. Bell's Barbecue, King Park, all of that, you know. And now it's not there anymore. Um, OSU came down and bought all, a lot of land and bought it all up, turned uh, part of it into a park, B.S. Roberts Park. You know, so we really don't, and Langston University is right there. So there's not a lot of activity going on on Greenwood until you get down to uh, Greenwood and Archer. Now, Greenwood and Archer was a place, I'm just going to say it back in the day, where you didn't go down yeah, on Greenwood. Deep, was that deep was Deep Greenwood. Greenwood. You didn't go down on Deep Greenwood down that way. Stay away from there. But now it's coming back. It's cleaned up. And... The development is taking place. Everybody's looking at Greenwood, 
we're headed towards 2021, mm-hmm. you know, and the world is focused on Greenwood, Black Wall Street. What's going on? You're going to have people coming here from all over the world. You know, already new, coming. Yeah, they're already coming because I've been doing some interviews myself. Sure. And they're coming. Everybody want to know about this hidden secret here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that's been hidden for so long. It's like a pimple getting ready to burst. You know, <laughs> that's what it is, getting ready to burst. That's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's going to come all out and it's going to be nasty. You know, it's not, everybody going to focus. So the truth is going to be told, you know. Your uh, development, I think, is going to help rather than hurt. Well, you know, thank I, you. I hope so. You know, the reason I say that is we need economic de- development. development. Right. You know, and where we may not have the money. I may not have no millions of dollars to go build no big old building and stuff like that. I can just envision it just like this radio station here. I'm, I'm going to be one day we might be able to, you know, but I'm just saying if you're able to do it, and introduce it to the family and to the people who died and make it be a representation of those people because we're standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. All of us. Yeah, all of us, you know, mm-hmm. and we're introducing this to the world. So I don't have no problem with the development take place. I'm like, I can't wait to see it open up and see what's going to happen and see where we're going to go. Maybe it'll bring more of us down there on Greenwood because, see, we don't go down there a lot. After 7 o'clock at night, it's just dead, man. I'm just going to be real about it. It's dead. It's like a ghost town on Greenwood. So come, you know, do do what you're going to do. Do you know of any uh, retail businesses that you already got in mind that's going to move in there? Well, we're, you know, nothing's signed. I mean, we, we talk to different folks all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to kind of say something well, about just Yeah, I mean, there, there's there is a healthy interest in, um, you know, in the project and in Greenwood in general. And I think, you know, what's interesting to me is you're seeing, you know, this awakening that's, you know, unfortunately what we've seen over the last year is, has always started from a bad source, you know, but I do think we, we are seeing this awakening of, you know, Tulsa, you know, our past is our past, right? I mean, we, we are a very segregated city and, and that is by design, but I do think you're starting to see people go, wait a minute, that happened here, you know, and I think, you know, na- nationwide, we're seeing just an awakening to the impact of, and the breadth of the impact on this culture of African-Americans and I, and I, you know, long overdue. And I think it's, it's just a part of how this country is changing. I mean, you know, we've forever looked at, the nation through the prism of, you know, Norman Rockwell, 1950s America, very homogenous. And I think folks are starting to realize, well, wait a minute, what about our Native American brothers and sisters? What about our Mm African-American brothers and sisters? What about, you know, our Asian-American brothers and sisters who we wouldn't have the West without, right? We wouldn't have the railroads. We wouldn't have, you know, our communities. And I think folks are just beginning to realize that, I wouldn't say beginning, but I think it's becoming a little more acceptable to say, you know, we've all had a place in the making of this country, you know, the, the good and, and definitely the bad, you know, there is no, there's no one that I think can sit here and say, well, we didn't have a part in, you know, how we got here. So I just get that sense of what's happening in our city and then the interest, because it is, it's, you know, it is a, an African-American story, it's black wall street, but I think folks are saying the impact of it. They're saying, well, if that could happen in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
Why hasn't that happened in my city? It has happened in so many other oh, no. places. Yeah, it's been yeah, 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 it has. Rosewood and all of that. Right. Hundred percent, but not with the number one, the level of success that that Black Wall Street and Greenwood had, mm-hmm. and then followed by immediately the the snapback of the tragedy of what the massacre was, right? right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that is just sort of a an inflection poke inflection point for folks because they're looking at it saying, okay, whether we've had it in our city or not, how did it take place there? And then what's led us to now looking at it like it's an anthropological exhibit rather than a living community. You know, it, it is, it is that sort of desire, I think, by the general general populace that's going to lead to the rebuilding of communities of color like Greenwood in in other parts of the city, other parts, no, excuse me, not the city, the but country. the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, and I just think it's a reflection of our society, you know, accepting that, hey, we're, we've all got a place at this table. And if we don't, then there's something wrong with the table. So when you say that, and you talk about anthropological society, um, the land, I mean, the history is so deep. Sure. And that's the part people have a tendency to forget, because when you don't remember the real history behind things, that's how some things kind of get whitewashed. You know, history gets covered up. That was majority of the people there that owned property. They were freedmen. You know, they were. You yeah, know, they were Creek freedmen. Yeah, yeah. So, number one, start with that. <laughs> but we 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 tell our stories, bits and pieces, and other people aren't necessarily here. You know the history. The people coming here, they have no clue. No, they don't. Some well, of them are like, well, mm-hmm. what's the, what's the, what's the Frenchman? No, I know. Mm-hmm. What's the Creek? What's who? What? And not even knowing about the, you know, Trail of Tears, people coming even, just people getting here from all over the country. Well, and I think that's, yeah, that's a, that's a very good distinction. I think, you know, part of that story will be told in Greenwood Rising. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're going to devote, as, as far as I understand, they're going to devote a, a good portion of the narrative to exactly, you know, how this fit within what was Indian territory. And let's not forget that our, our Creek and our, our Cherokee brothers and sisters, you know, they were transplanted forcibly. Yeah, for, to, by force. And yeah. remember there Whoa. were, there yeah, were, they were, there were native Americans that right. were here prior to their, they, you know, to their removal. Got here. Yeah. Correct. And so, <laughs> so while, while there's a long history in Oklahoma, it's a relatively shallow one when right. you look at it from a European or a right. an Asian right. perspective, but right. Yeah, it's a, you know, our indigenous brothers and sisters, their stories have to be told as well, because there is no continent of America, North America, without their story. And I think it's, you know, I just, I do think, and maybe it's just color me a a naive optimist. I just think that's what's happening with our country. And and there's a tremendously interesting interplay between, Mm -hmm. you know, our African-American. I love your story, your family story. Okay. You, your family migrated here mm-hmm. from Afghanistan, True. a war-torn, like getting ready to just pop off in a crazy kind of way, and your family had the resources to get out. Well, that was just pure and dumb luck, Sherry. So, yeah, pure my, and dumb luck, call it whatever yeah. it is, you were blessed to get out. Absolutely. Okay? Yeah, blessed. you guys were. And, and you, and left, you, you at, left your home. Yeah, at two, at two able, years old. Right. You left Afghanistan baby. as a baby, yep. like she said. And see, and, I've met young mm-hmm. kids that have come here from Iran during and and the, at twelve o'clock, 
the airplane slide right over Carver Middle School, mm-hmm. I would have this little boy just lose his freaking head. What would he do? Because he was from our race. He was like just jittery from bombs and stuff. And that's the type of thing we don't really necessarily make connections uh-huh. with. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you talking you came here when you were two years old. Your dad went to medical school. Yeah. No, my dad was a physician. Already. He was already a physician. Yeah. So, oh God, he came here ready. Oh, he was prepared. Okay. And then he went well, to Ufala because guess what? We don't have any doctors well, in Ufala because I know what Ufala looks like. Yeah, so no, he other, was just like, I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work this. Well, other than speaking, he had to learn English while he was over here. But yeah, other than that small impediment. No, my, you know, my, my, my dad had a skill, right? And yeah. that skill was, was education and it right. was transferable. Right. And so he was right. able to, right. he was able to come assimilate to the extent that he was able he could. to come he set it up and, for yes, children yes exactly well exactly and, but it is you know that's all of our stories i mean we're all immigrants to this continent i mean not all of us but you know the vast majority of the of the people who now identify themselves mm-hmm. as americans we're all immigrants so okay and you had a different type of immigrant so when you have a group of quote-unquote enslaved people that came here yeah. and did what they had to do and managed mm-hmm. and they had it squirreled away from them some shape form of fashion and your family is able to do what they did because of your father your your marriage that whole yeah so it's it's a it's a it's almost like a a paradigm just totally different like wow well wow well i think but that's let's also look at it temporally that's a very that's a very recent slice of the history of this place right Mm -hmm. i mean Let's not forget that, you know, there were plenty of generations of successful, you know, whether they were freedmen or African-American or whatever that made their way on Greenwood, you know, three generations. Yeah. Well, at least if not more. And so, you know, what we've myself, Maggie, Marianne, you know, her family, you know, what we've always said is let's whatever we do on, on Greenwood, whether it's a success or a failure, let's just do something that those men and women would be proud of. Mm -hmm. And you know, let's let's try to have the neighborhood reflect the values of what made it great in the first place. And and it wasn't great because of exclusion. It wasn't great because of homogeneity. It wasn't great because of a one note offering. It was great because it was inclusive. It was, hey, you may not want to trade with us, but we'll happily we'll happily trade with you. You know, that's it was really Tulsa's first free market, you know, zone and that's what made those men and women successful. It was a free market zone. I mean, maybe you had a few. You had some Jewish people that were there. Okay, I can't remember which Jewish family that was. But it was the, the Zaros. Zaros. The yeah. Zaros. That family was there, and they did deal with you know the black family community, whatnot, whatnot. But for the most part, it was mostly African American men and women in that space shopping and trans, you know, exchanging with each other. With each okay. other, but not yeah. at the, not at the exclusion of folks, definitely not at the exclusion of the Native American population, definitely not at the exclusion of folks who wanted to cross the tracks and Oh you know, yeah, they folks, always wanted to cross the tracks. And, Sergio, they well, always do. Well and that and that was my, that was my point about the market. Crossing oh, the tracks. God, the yeah. music, the food, okay. the you know, so hey, we, everybody Whenever you go to Chicago, there's certain place you people tell you where to go, where the good yeah, they do. is. Okay, so you know that that whole thing. Woody Guthrie even made a song, dropping off Green Martin, Greenwood and Archer. Okay, so he, even Woody Guthrie knew yeah, where no, to go. Yeah, I think uh, Bob Wills. I think that, okay. that was Bob Wills. Bob Wills. Bob yeah. Wills. Yeah. Whoever mm-hmm. it was, they knew where to go. For the, they knew where to go. Yep. Mm-hmm. So well. Yeah. 
I'm going to know where to go right now. We're going to take a break. <laughs> and so we're going to go. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show, KBOB 89.9. And uh, we're talking here uh, with a, a friend of mine. Kajir Yar is in the house. He's explaining a lot about the development uh, down on Greenwood. And uh, so stick around. All right. We'll be right back. Number one, find a good wing spot. I know a wing spot, Max Wings. Number two, decide if you want a combo or if you want to order a la carte. Huh? What's that? Well, combos come with chicken, veggie sticks, fries, and a drink for a discounted price. A la carte means that you order each item separately. Ah, okay. Three, decide if you want bone-in, boneless, or cauliflower wings. And then determine the delicious flavor you want on your wings. I didn't even know cauliflower had wings. You learn something new every day. Have you been to Max Wings? Yep, yep, Max yep. Wings is located at 782 East Pine Street in Tulsa. We're open Monday through Thursday from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. and on Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Come to Max Wings, home of the dry rub fry. If your credit starts with a three, four, five, or six, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 832 642 1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day. Advertise in the Salsa Black Owned Business Guide. It's a monthly publication reaching all of Oklahoma and beyond, giving exclusive content about your business and many businesses that are connected to you. Full page and half pages are available. Purchase and artwork are due on the 25th of each month. Visit us online right now at www.tulsabobn.com for more details. Or email us right now at tulsabobn at gmail.com for pricing. Hello, Tulsa. This is Janetta Toll with Sunday Dinner and More by Janet, your weekend soul spot. Every Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m. We're located 531 East Apache in the historic Apache Circle Center. Of course, during these times, it's carry out only, but you can call 918-951-5143. That's Sunday Dinner and More by Janet. 
What's up, y'all? This is Charlie Wilson, and you listen to K-Bob, 89.9 FM, Bobby Eaton Show. Ah, uh, yeah, this is the Bobby Eaton Show, and that was my friend Charlie Wilson. And in the studio, good year. Hey, we've been talking about it, and uh, you're giving us some great information in reference to what's going on down there. Now, let me ask you the question of what gave you guys the idea to even do that? Well, where, where did that come from? You know, I think I think as I stated earlier, it was really just looking at, hey, their giving was local. The investing, you know, wanted to be as well. And and Greenwood was a, I thought, a natural from the standpoint of you had um, land that you could number one develop, and really with the history of you know of the district and of the street, it was a natural for you know, another rebirth. And that's, you know, that's sort of just what, I mean, did you, did you guys, uh, did you say, Hey, look here, we got this land right here. Why don't we just build who did, who came up with that? Well, really, I think, as I mentioned earlier, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about Ruben um, and, you know, they at that point in time, and, and you mentioned the ballpark, but, you know, remember there was a plan that Greenwood, the, the chamber and the CDC had for the, the land where the ballpark was. And, you know, I think they'd had that land under option for a number of years and had a, a couple of different programs for it. And, um, and then when they made the decision, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to let the, uh, let the ballpark trust take that over and, and have the stadium built there. You know, they still wanted, housing on Greenwood. And, and at that point in time, what we were also looking at were, you know, in and around downtown, other sorts of multifamily housing projects. I think if you guys go back to the mid two thousands, you know, anything that had been done in and around downtown that was new construction from a housing perspective was really sort of priced for the upper end of the market. And so we were looking for opportunities to do something that was more affordable. Um, and that's, really when we started talking with Ruben and, and realized, okay, well, we had some synergies in terms of our vision for what we wanted to see. And, you know, Green Arch is the culmination of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's go to the phone lines right quick and see who we got right here. Area code 918-231. You're on the Bobby Eaton Show. Hey, Bobby. It's it's uh, it's Patrick Fox is my name. Hey, Patrick. Welcome to the show. Well, I'm a I, I, I'm a, a realtor and a, a with Foxhound Realty, and we are involved in in the project that you and Kajir have been talking about, and we're involved in in Green Arch as well. And and um, I've really enjoyed this discussion. I I don't know that there's much I can add to what Kajir's saying because he's so eloquent at, at expressing himself and talking about it. Other mm-hmm. than than as as we're just just a thought as we're looking at tenants for these new projects. And I know there's some concern about who's going to occupy the spaces and, and, and are, are they going to be available to, to everybody? And the answer, of course, is yes. But as we're looking at, at, at folks that are looking at office space in particular, it's an interesting conversation we're having with a lot of folks, which is that it's forcing them to take a look at themselves as they look at spaces like 21 North Greenwood and they look at office spaces and, and they recognize a history that 
in the significance that that uh, that Greenwood has in potentially locating uh, a business in Greenwood and is really causing them to take an inward look at their own company and 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 say, hey, are we are we servicing the community uh, fully? Um, is our is our workforce uh, reaching out and 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 hiring um, across the spectrum of uh, of our population? And uh, I think as they're as they're looking at the space, it's going to give an opportunity for them to reevaluate how they hire, who they hire, and what their investment in their local community, and I mean local as in uh, Greenwood local, as in North Tulsa local, as in, as in, uh, as in the uh, local schools, what that is going to be like. So if you believe in the concept of, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, then, then I can't imagine how this isn't a step forward across the spectrum of things. I see. I see. So you and Kajir, you guys know each other? Yeah, we know. We've known each other since we were 14. So yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pat- Patrick was a was an urban planner, city planner with um with the city of Tulsa yeah. and Incog prior to uh him forming his real estate venture and you know, definitely I think from an urban planning perspective understands the you know, not only the history of Greenwood but also, you know, place making in terms of scale and and the variety of offerings that that make neighborhoods, you know, we, Greenwood had this serendipitous rise of, of success in the beginning. And then in its rebuild, it was, you know, it was fashioned by, um, you know, exigent circumstances, you know, rebuilding, trying to, trying to withhold the forces that were trying to take land from, you know, away from the, the property owners, the remnant domain and some of the other, you know, um, procedures that, that in some parts succeeded, but in, in large parts failed. So, you know, Patrick, I think has a good sense of, you know, what, what was, correct in terms of, you know, placement in Greenwood. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I got a question for both of you guys. Do you guys get any pushback? Um, pushback in what sense, Bobby? And sense of just uh, overall, anything. Will people, anybody ever come to you and kind of, well, blah, 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 and give you a bunch of static? Uh, sure. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't know that there's any profession. Um, frankly, I don't know that there's anything worth doing that you wouldn't get pushback. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, then maybe you shouldn't be doing it because mm-hmm. that's probably, probably, you know, you're doing something that, that if you're doing something, folks don't have an mm-hmm. opinion about, mm-hmm. you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. We know all of well, that's stuff. true. And I, and I think, I'm sorry, Bobby. And I, I, not only that, but so, I mean, it, it, we, we, I can't even imagine, first of all, you know, a better development partner than, than the Haley foundation on something like this, but, but partially because they listen, you know, they, they really, they not they haven't come into a district and, and said, hey, this is what needs to happen, right? And you're going to do it my way or the highway. It's really because they've listened to what the community needs. They've paid attention. They're connected to the community. That's made them such good partners in this. I think it's very unusual. It's very unusual to have a development a development partner on this scale that has done that really. And that's why I asked the question because over here in our in the African American community, a lot of things have often happened in our community without anybody consulting the community. You know, do the community want the next thing you know, the, we got bike trails on the street and we don't know nothing about it. You know, things like that happen over here. 
And, I, you know, nobody never consults the community to see the needs of the community. That's why I asked that right there. And uh, I think sometimes it's unfair, but you guys have done your research, right? Well, and, and, and furthermore, I mean, I do come from an urban planning background, and, and uh, for years, I mean, you you guys have talked about it. You've talked about sort of the institutional um, the damage that's been done to, to Greenwood, up and down, all the way to Pine, if you think about it. You know, just uh, what's happened there is largely through large institutions, and, and you can see that happening all over the city, but there's nowhere more evident than, than this. And, of course, you know, building a – Building I two forty four through the middle of the district was just it, it's it's it kind of un, it's, a, it's unconscionable. I think it, in, in mm-hmm. some ways worse uh, to the community from a from a building standpoint from a from a structural standpoint than than the the original uh, uh, massacre because because at that point Greenwood was bigger than it was in nineteen twenty one what twice the size so it. It's it was really a disregard on the public uh, from the from the do urban planning, and and now we did, we know to ask the questions before we draw a map. We know to ask the questions before we decide to build something, and that's and that's that's really the only way to do it. And and they want buy-in from the community, so you know they've done a great job at that, in my opinion. Okay. You know, I think, you know, Patrick brings up an interesting point about the IDL. And I think, you know, as foolishly optimistic as we are potentially about, you know, what we're doing, I don't think it's a stretch to say that section of the IDL won't be, you know, it, within my lifetime, hopefully if I live <laughs> out of here, that, that stretch of the IDL is going to be gone. I mean, I think you're already seeing enough, uh, you know, enough of a wellspring of folks saying, well, first of all, what? purpose does it serve what's the actual count of cars that use it you know is it necessary for our transportation and then secondly you know the the source of why it was placed where it was i think you know there and you know sherry you bring up a good point about hud and and you know there is this unfortunate Uh, that that excuse me not to cut you off with that freeway coming through there Shouldn't have came through there. Never, no. Never. I mean, that's... It should never have been through there. They should have went around somewhere or something. But it's kind of like, excuse my friend, it's kind of like, well, we're just gonna piss on them and keep moving our well, moving our cars on through this way, you and know. I, and, I, and that's what the I, community felt, you know. The African American community, the whole community, feels that way. You know, a Vernon AME church is right there. Of course. He can be right. having service and he hear cars just right. rumble. Just just be <laughs> rumbling through his sermon, man. You know, right in the well, historical you know, Vernon AME church. And so when you do right. that kind of stuff, you know, you can upset a whole lot of people. Well, and I think and I think it wasn't just in Tulsa. That's not to justify what happened well, here, but mm-hmm. that but that was a systemic program well, it's throughout the United throughout States, the right. United States of mm-hmm. building, you know, uh, elevated highways. Erase community. the history, Erase man. The history. Erase the, the history. Erase the history. And lose the people. And change and the change. geography of there the space. There you go. There you yeah. go. So once that, you change the happens. geography of the space, it's like, now, my grandma, think I, she, she was so, around here somewhere. she live? Her, I don't the landmarks, know. Her house was right. I don't of know. Course. Of it's course. Erased. Of course. You but, know? but I also but think we, we we did a we did a study back in in uh, when I was working working at our planning department of the city. Uh, we were working on a 36th Street North small area plan, 
And uh, we did a demographic sort of historical uh, study of of the demographics from uh, about 1960 to about 1970. And um, that area, that Northland area, um, mm-hmm. changed from, what, 80%, 85% white, white. to 85% black. black. And 10 years, yes, in 10 is. years that happened. Yeah, and, it and it's largely attributable to the I-244 being built where it was because they had forced relocations again forced relocations of, exactly. of people who lived along there and they moved and they moved them to 36 north so between 36 it, it's and mohawk is where it started mohawk right exactly that been in the plans that's for right. years mm-hmm. that's right yeah, but but so, people like that and they don't have any it's happening right now because people are still being displaced but it's a different group of people that are being displaced, displaced. so we're not really noticing so all I'm saying is that what we see and what we know changing before our eyes. And when you do that, when you erase cert- certain structures and spaces and you change it, you also change the field and what people actually see. Mm-hmm. My dad owned yeah. a restaurant right across the street from Lefty's. Okay. Mm-hmm. He bought it from his father. Okay. But at the end of the day, he got out of, the restaurant business and started his construction business. But for for him and my mom to walk through that space today, they're like, wow, Maybe it was right it's, here. Whoa, it's it's different. You no, know? It, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the things about, you know, sort of doing the development is you, you know, you look at the land records, you look at who was, you know, there. I mean, you know, the immediate predecessor to title for all of that Eastern block uh, before TDA was a gentleman by the name of Lester Springer. So, you know, there were clearly a large number of folks who decided they wanted to sell their property to Lester. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lester held it for a good while. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lester, Lester yeah, Lester, yeah. Well, Lester did pretty well. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, there's this, did well, by it, huh? well, there's there's this misconception that a lot of this land, you know, was purchased by TDA for a song. And that's absolutely not what the land records show. You know, the land records show TDA, frankly, paying above market value for a lot of the property, at least in and around you know, what we're involved with. So I, you know, I just think there's, there's perception and then there's reality. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's really easy to, and, and we do it as humans because, you know, we want to always have a story surrounding events. Right. And we always, we always yeah. want to say, well, but for the IDL, but for yeah. TDA, but for HUD, you know, and the reality of it is it's a combination of all of these factors. And, and it's, it's like you said, Sherry, it's this notion of if you don't pay attention and you allow history, even if you erase the structures, which is not defensible, and I'm not defending that point of view, without continuing the narrative of why those structures were there in the first place, that's how you can lose, you know, your histories. I mean, you know, our, our indigenous, you know, people suffer from that on a daily basis. What, you know, what, what was the, what's the way to get rid of a culture? You get rid of the language, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's, uh, you know, that happens across you know, a lot of, a lot of different institutions. And I think it's, we always want there to be a master plan to it all. And, you know, in some cases there was, and in other cases it was, you know, I, I think, you know, you, you had, you had people that say, Hey, we need this highway. And no one asked, well, why do we need it? You know, what purpose does it serve? And, you know, going back to my kind of original point, I don't think that ideal is going to be there that much longer. I think you're going to see that North leg. If it does stay, it's going to get, recessed and, and sunk. You the think ground. they're going to do away with that? 
I, I absolutely think they will. I think you're. I think Bobby, you're seeing enough people who are asking enough questions about why. Well, I would love to see that happen because you know I grew up here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in North Tulsa, Greenwood. Our community went to Booger T, went to Anderson, went to a different school, Raft A Bunch, you name. I grew up here uh, when Dunbar Elementary School was on Pine. Sure. It's erased and gone. When Lansing was just as thriving as Greenwood, yeah. it had so many businesses. Now it's all industrial, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. everything is. I left here on a music career, traveled around the world several places, did a lot of things, and I came back here. And it's devastating, the loss and the way things have been erased. And as the elders die off and unable to tell the stories, because my dad is kind of like by himself. He's the last of the Mohegans, what they say, still around, you know. And uh, I'm the senior now, you know. So we have to tell these stories to, uh, hey, it was this was right here, that was right there. And if we don't tell it, our history will be lost, just like it was lost uh, down on Greenwood. Now we're approaching the 2021. Now all eyes are back on Greenwood. Everybody's focused. We're trying to prepare uh, everything, mm-hmm. you know, getting ready for Greenwood and what's going to take place on Greenwood. And I'm saying, wow, there's been so much erased that nine times out of ten, you'll never be able to really recover because it's a race. You can't see it. These young people can't see it. All they see is what they see. Well, you I, know? And, then, and then you have to teach them about it. Because if you don't teach them, they're not going to know. I'm a little I, more optimistic about our younger brothers and sisters. I, I sense, and, I, and maybe it's because, you know, my view of it is, is largely shaped by, by, you know, Vanita Cooper. But I, I see people of her age and younger and it's not just Vanita. It's you know, it's you know the the young folks I know that are involved with the you know with the gallery and the folks that come through Liquid Lounge. They have had an awakening to what was there, and mm-hmm. they are not stopping at. Let know, me tell you something. That's the minority. That that's the minority that's in our. That's a, I love and them. Very I active. love all the active they're and they're coming through and the, the Tonys and. All of them coming through there, and you know Cody and all of them, they are the minority. Well, but they are the minority. But every movement starts with a minority. Well, I'm just saying they are the yeah. minority. So, and I understand that. I understand it, but they are the minority. And the Put thing, it like this. I have to okay when people when people do come back and they want to reminisce, they always go to left. Okay, so you you you. I mean, it's just like. Where you, you don't go? have nowhere else to you go. You have nowhere else to go but to your section. So that's a that's a win win for you. Well, okay. but but, <laughs> but let's also recognize what that is. I mean, lefties didn't pop out of the ground like no, the it mushroom, didn't. right? No, I mean, it did not. You had you had you know my business partners risk their time and treasure to to create a place where mm-hmm. folks not only could come but but come and feel welcome, mm-hmm. right? And that right. was that's not an accident. That's by right. design. I mean, right. you know we. We very much, you know, one they of the spent time creating that space and making that space welcome. Well, yeah, welcoming, welcoming, and also reflective of trying to say, look, you know, we we know we're standing on somebody's shoulders, right? Sacred, here. sacred space. You know, it's not lefties; it's lefties on Greenwood. Greenwood, right? Yeah, and that's you know, when people say lefties, I always correct them. I say, no, 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 that's lefties on Greenwood. Mm-hmm. You know, we we. 
proudly stand here because of what mm-hmm. who was here before us. You know, mm-hmm. I, Bobby, I get what you're saying about you know there's it isn't maybe as many folks as as we would love like it to be, but I really do think it's starting. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm being optimistic about that part because that's my heart. I'm an old guy. <laughs> you no, understand? Well, no, you're not. I'm an old guy. I've been around for a minute or two here, you know, in my community. But without education and without people knowing, was Juneteenth took place down there on Greenwood, and everybody was packed down there. And don't you know, I talked to a lot of young people. And I was with my dad, and I said, Dad, look, we're the oldest people down here. Mm-hmm. Nobody's older than us. Show me somebody older than us. We couldn't find nobody. But it was young people. Black Lives Matter was moving through there. Sure. And, you know, and I, and I talked to a lot of young people who didn't even really know any history about why they was even down there. Yeah, that's, that's and, a- you know, a lot, I talked to whites. I had a group of several groups of whites and five people here and three people there spreading this history of what you even protesting about. You know, they down there, George Floyd, which is cool. I mean, I don't have no problem, but you're on sacred ground. You're walking the yeah. streets of probably you're on top of some bodies, probably. Oh, no doubt know, about it. You know, right down off in here. So you must know what you're dealing with. So you have to educate. I'm optimistic about, the young people and the young professionals who are trying to get together, who hang out at the Liquid Lounge and Silhouette and things like that, the gallery and stuff, they have to be educated and taught as well. Well, and you I know, think and, you're doing that. Yeah, and so this that's why the platform is right here, you know, to educate our people, to let everybody know, not just our people, but every people in general, you know, who uh, want to participate and want to know what, Black Wall Street was really all about before the massacre. You know, uh, uh, that's when it was things were going on. We focus on a lot of times on the horrific stuff that took place, which we all know it was bombed and we lost a whole lot of people. But that spirit of entrepreneurship, you know, African Americans getting together, building a community, you know, is what we need to get back to. So I'm saying, I'm saying we have to educate. You know, you got to just educate. Well, because, hmm? I'm sorry, Bobby. It's not just Bobby. Educate, it's also access to capital. I mean, right, the, the, right. Well, ding, that's ding, ding, that's ding. it. That's it. Well, ding, ding, ding. And and I think what you're going to see, you know, certainly on on behalf of the commission and other other folks and and just business owners in the district is, if the legacy of 2021 is simply the acknowledgement of a centennial and the construction of a building then that's a failure on the part of, oh, of everybody involved. And so what I really think you're going to see, and, and it, you know, it is a plant. I mean, you plants grow slowly. Some, well, some plants grow quickly like bamboo and kudzu, but some, <laughs> some, things, grow, some things grow more slowly. And I yeah. think you'll see economic development that is very much targeted towards exactly what you just mentioned is, you know, that's the, tragedy of the massacre, you know, and the tragedy of Greenwood's decline is that you lose that entrepreneurial connection in and among families. You know, when folks on Greenwood wanted to run a background check on somebody moving in the neighborhood, they didn't call whatever, you know, doc you say for whatever yeah. it's called. They just oh, asked yeah. their neighbor, right? right? Hey, what kind of what kind of person is is Joe? What kind of what kind of person is Sally, right? I mean, 
those are the kinds of things in communities when you lose links between grandparents and grandkids that, that are business links that are hard to replace. And I think hopefully what comes out of any sort of economic, you know, any sort of entrepreneurship program or economic development in the district is creating these webs that are not necessarily, hey, you know, hey, Kajir, as a lawyer, I want to retain you and then give me this legal advice. It's more of, hey, buddy, what's going on? What do you think about X, Y, and Z? You know, those informal links that really do make communities successful, you know, and it isn't just on the basis of race or income. It's if you are a member of a certain club or a certain church or a certain, you know, fraternal organization, you pick up the phone and ask questions that require other people to have to pay money for. Those are the kinds of things that have to be recreated or at least fostered so that they can create themselves. And, you know, that's hopefully that is the longer term impact of the centennial and, and some of the things that the commission well, you is know, doing. Hopefully the centennial is going to take place in 2021. It's going to be a big hoopla, you know, going on. Everybody going to be here. Things are going to be happening. But what happens when it's all over? Afterwards. Afterwards. But, the no, after could, effect. But Kajir, he said it, but he said it in a different way. Right. You're talking about building community, period. Building, mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. build community by building relationships. That's it. So building those relationships that you're talking about, you know, they, they happen now and beyond May 31st, as in, and that's anywhere, like you're talking about getting information out to the community, building those relationships, whatever the space that's there and how your organization and the, can support the community and those people from the community coming to you, building those relationships and, you know, just. I think you're going to have some success with speech. it. I think yeah. you're going to, you particular are going to have some success because you already have built relationships. See, already. So you're doing your homework in advance. Well, you know, I I think it's, well, well, thank you. And I hope, I hope what you say is true, but I also, if, if what this is for us is just a couple of buildings, then that's a pretty, it needs to be, we need to all be part of moving whatever the ball is forward. You know, whether mm-hmm. we're talking about North Tulsa or Tulsa or Oklahoma or our country, right? I mean, we're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can do things on a micro level that affect the macro level. And I think it does start with relationship building, but it also starts with follow through. I mean, it's easy to talk about these things. Oh, right. for sure. Absolutely. And there has been a tremendous amount of carbon dioxide created by talking about just just talking about what needs to be done. There also is something to be said for, for just saying, okay, you know, some of this isn't sexy. Some of this is just blocking and tackling, you Mm -hmm. know, we can't all score touchdowns, but we all need to be part of the team and we've got to do things. Mm -hmm. And and it is, and you got to be able to communicate. Yeah. And it's got to be action, you know, action. You got to do it. I say that over here all the time. So the question for you, what do you envision? What do you envision that looking like? going, you know, building those relationships, making those connections. You know, honestly, for me, it's just always been about dialogue and just saying, look, I, you know, and we, we had a a nice exchange earlier where it was, look, I, I a hundred percent hear what you're saying. Here's my perspective on, you know, on those things. And I think it's, I think when folks have the fear of discussing what they're doing, that's where, 
problems happen. You know, that's where folks can say, well, okay, well, you're not saying that thing because you, you're hiding something. I think mm-hmm. it's just, look, we need to, everybody needs to just, you know, lay their cards on the table. Look, I'm, well, that's what it's all about. I'm, I'm here as an investor. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an investor because I'm optimistic in the future, right? And, you know, I'm risking my capital because I want to see a return. You know, mm-hmm. no one has a problem with that. I think the issue is when folks are like, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I'm doing this, but look over here, you know, and don't notice what I'm doing over here. Oh. And I think that's, that I think is just, just the nature of, of mm-hmm. communicating, being an adult, mm-hmm. like this, this, this is my skin in the game. This is what I hope to receive from it, you know, or this is philanthropy. I hope to not receive anything from it, but an outcome. So, you know, those are just, I think things that are just come part and parcel with, with being open. Mm-hmm. And you have to be open and transparent, you know, that's the whole think, deal. I yeah. mean, you know, but if you're in it, like you say, just to have a building and, you know, someplace for us just to come and hang out, uh, you know, well, yeah. I mean, again, if, we got enough buildings. Yeah, <laughs> well, we got enough buildings downtown, <laughs> and all them buildings. Now we don't have enough buildings ourselves. But the space he's talking about, yeah, yeah, because that's a he's in a historical. It's a historical thing taking place. Mm-hmm. Well, and and mm-hmm. I think we also need to recognize the tremendous amount of not just potential in North Tulsa, but also just you know outcomes that, that we have a community that has produce tremendous talents, tremendous businessmen and women, and continues to do so. And we have to look at it and say, okay, well, wait a minute. Why does the community feel so under-included? And, and, and it should, right? I mean, they're, they're out, the health outcomes, income levels, education, we, you know, those are all metrics that you can track. Why are we, why are we not sitting down at the table saying, wait a minute, like you, this community has a tremendous amount of good to offer we need to have more of that. You know, it, it should not simply be here's here's Tulsa and well whatever happens on that side of two forty four or that side <laughs> of, of Archer doesn't matter. That's mm-hmm. just dumb. I mean we won't ever reach our potential if you know we we look at it that way. And you know, and I really do think that's that's changing. I mean it's it you know I, well, I don't I don't see this conversation happening mm-hmm. twenty years ago. Yeah. I, I think as we move on and the elders of that Jim Crow era, those old silver foxes and those racist people die off. And this younger generation, the millennials uh, and uh, uh, what they call it, Generation Z, X or whatever. They don't, they don't, they, the kids, they don't really like that. Be, you know, they, they're not into it. When I was looking at that Black Lives Matter down there on Greenwood, it was predominantly white people who were actually in that march holding signs up talking about black lives matter. Well, but that's a you know? reflection of the population. I mean, African-Americans make up 13% of the population. I know the populations across the board. Right. I understand all of the, the, those numbers, but as we move forward, those young people who go to school with African-Americans at their school and jinx and union and stuff like that, you got blacks living in those communities who don't know, even know anything about North Tulsa. You know, they don't know about what's even going on over here because they don't, they, they live out that way. Huh? That's where their family moved to. That's where their families moved to. So they have no history even of North Tulsa. So therefore the, the white kids are embracing more of the black culture through their music, 
through sports, through everything. So they're not thinking that same racist type attitudes that their parents and grandparents uh, are doing. So therefore, that's why you've got a big wave of uh, police being on captured on a video and things like that. And they're capturing all this stuff. As we move forward, and I see it and I say, wow, man, things are going to change. Things are slowly going to change. It's a slow process. I may not live to see it, but it is going to change. I thought that I'd never live to see a black president. You know, that was one, that was, that was a thought. I mean, we will never see it in my lifetime, but I lived and I saw it. So as things change, you know what I mean? Uh, Look what we got going on right now with Biden and the first African-American vice president, black female. Things are changing, you know, in a world. So I I would hope that everybody would kind of look at things. But racism is still alive and kicking. So let's don't drop our guards down with that systematically controlled, you know. And he who had, you know what my dad always used to say? He said, you know what the golden rule is? I say, what, Daddy? He who has the goal makes the rule. That's the golden rule. Well, I think that's, you know, particularly in our our modern society. I mean, we we all run off of credit, right? I mean, there's very few transactions that take place in cash. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, credit requires capital. And it also requires access to capital. And and if we're going to continue to, you know, there's there's a big myth in this country that, well, Banks are self, you know, they're self-supporting mechanisms, and and you know the that is a myth. the financial system is it's it's based on merit and based on its own liquidity, and that isn't the that isn't the case <laughs> at all. I mean, the federal government is the backstop of the banking system, the the financial markets. You know, it's the backstop of our citizenry. I mean, we've just had a tremendous discussion of of a president signing a stimulus bill, right? And and again, I'm I'm not going to get into. I think everybody that knows me where knows where I fall with respect to, to our current president. But that said, it would be foolish not to recognize that, you know, the, the wisdom of that saying, those who have the gold make the rules and those who access, who control access to that gold make the golden rule. Because Mm -hmm. the reality of it is, is if you're unable to walk into a bank or unable to, to fill out a credit application and the, the space that identifies race, why is that even on an application? What does that? What does gender have to do with your ability to pay a loan back or to stay current on any of those things? And until we understand it as a society, that the way we're framing the access to capital affects outcomes, you know, we're going to fall into that same trap. And and as long as we are going to, if we're, if we're going to have federal deposit insurance backing up your bank account, there should be absolutely no racism involved in banking at all. Zero, because it should be at all. Well, and that's and that's just something that won't happen unless we have citizenry. The number one, when we're talking about the history of Greenwood, you know, financial just literacy in, in our culture is even worse. You know, we kids, even kids who are relatively you know knowledgeable about that stuff, don't understand what what, what I just talked about. Right? They don't understand that the government is the backstop of the back of the bank of the banking system. So, well, if the government is the backstop of the banking system. Why do we have channels that are still, you know, 
that they're still slotted to favor certain races over others and certain genders. I mean, you're not going to get the same loan oh, loan God, offer no. as, a, as a as as a man. You so, know, so much so that sometimes you're just like, why even bother? We're, no, but why but, bother? but that, why even go through it? But that's that's another leg of this. Yeah. And so if if we're not willing, your yeah, you're, yeah, if oh, you're not willing, oh, or, redlining well, the whole thing. Well, yeah. sure. I mean, some of those things, you know, I think are okay to consider, but not race or gender. They should have no impact. Shouldn't. Should no, but. But we should right. be, we should be demanding that because yeah. we have we have equal protection under the laws. I mean, due process in this country is is supposedly blind in terms of race and gender, but we're going to allow the government to backstop an industry that uses that every day. Right. That makes no right. sense. But that comes back down to the Constitution. So sure. Yeah. The law of the Constitution. Constitutional changes that you mm-hmm. have to. You know, laws of the land that you have to force change. Well, we just have to force adherence to it. Yeah. The Constitution already, you know, has those things in place. But it, but it, that's the sort of that's the sort of education that we have to continue to foster if we do want to see real change. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, let's face it. If if go try to go try to conduct your life in cash and see how far that gets you. You know, you're you're not going to get very far. You can't go you can't go and spend more than 9900 bucks without having somebody, you know, oh, come yeah. knock on your door, right? So, oh, that's true. <laughs> so things I mean, it, you're right. Think things about have it. changed. Yeah. Things have changed quite a bit. Mm. Quite a bit. But yeah. I wanted to go back to like you said the space we're talking about Greenwood. Okay, we have Archer you have the north side of Orchard, you have the south side of Orchard sure. Greenwood. What's that relationship like for you? Well, you know, I I would love to say that it they could it could be better. I'd love for it to be better. I I don't quite always understand what the chamber is doing or thinking. You know, mm-hmm. we we just purely as a neighbor would love to see you know those properties be as successful as they possibly could. And and you know I. I hear things and I'm hoping that those things take place and those buildings are able to, to fund some, you know, needed repairs and, and needed, you know, rehabilitation. You know, I, I do think it's important for people to come to the district and understand what those buildings look right. like. You know, right. I mean, I, I don't know that a lot of folks appreciate that those are recreations of those buildings and that, you know, those were, those generally were, redone in the 1980s but but that's yeah. okay. that's okay you know it, it's you know there needs to be some tangible connection to to greenwoods i, I almost he- am hesitant to say heyday because I, I think the district has had so many successful periods but mm-hmm. you know it's important for the district to have those buildings be in in great mm-hmm. shape right and i'd love to see it happen right. and but you know there's also something to be said for just you know, people have, you know, people need to be able to run their institutions the way they want to run them. Mm-hmm. That is about the only way I can say it. Okay. Because I know, <clears throat> I know of people that have gone to you for space. Because, sure. You know, the space that they wanted in historic, in the historic buildings were just like priced out of this world or they had structural issues. Space wasn't necessarily what they needed and would require work. And once they get in there, work is like, what? It's going to cost this much? So that kind of thing. So, and I don't know the relationship you've had with the the chamber here recently and the, the you said the, the, is it 21, the historical piece there? 
I can't remember. No, so um, it's it's Green Arch. Green and Arch. Then, yeah, Green Arch is what's already there. 21 is what's under construction. Yeah, and 21 then, is under construction, mm-hmm. and you have a historical piece in there. Mm-hmm. So well, the, yeah, the, the Greenwood no, Rising. The, Greenwood Rising. I'm trying to say yeah. the History Which, Center. So the relationship. There's no getting, relationship there. Between but are they working chamber, together? Or? No, 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 no. No, I think it's strictly. No, I, no, 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 no. I think I think the commission and the Greenwood Chamber have. Well, for instance, the mural that was that was recently taken down. Mm-hmm. The, the mural. Yeah, that mural that was funded by the Centennial Commission. They mm-hmm. they paid to put that mural up and and you know put it there. Why did they take it down? You know, I I don't want to I don't want to barter in because here. a lot of the community have asked that question. Yeah, I don't. I don't Why wanna... did they take all those businesses down? You know, and who did it? I, I don't. I only know what I've heard, and I and I don't think it's fair to the chamber for me to to spread hearsay. You know, I I think factually the chamber took it down. What their reasons for doing so, I think, okay. are, are left to for them to speak to. Um, you know, I I will say it was nice to see so many people on Instagram and on Facebook taking a picture in Greenwood, in deep Greenwood, in front of that mural, and I I hope in in some form or fashion it can go back up. Yeah, people liked it. People from all over, you know, they would travel. Oh, people, they would yeah, they travel. That was a big imposing, yeah. Yeah. taking photos and pics. And I mean, it's already out there on a lot of people's. Yeah, I would say stuff. that in the mural on the on the north side of, you know, the IDL and in the um, uh, Greenwood Cultural Center's parking, parking lot, I think, yeah. you know, or two of them were. And, you know, Vernon, I mean, there's, you know, that's to me, when I think of Greenwood, I think of Vernon, I think of Maybell mm-hmm. Little, you know, those are, those are structures, particularly, you know, the role that, that Vernon played in, in protecting people during the massacre. I mean, I think those are the, those should be the backdrops of, right. of people's visits to the district. So, mm-hmm. but, but anyway. that, that, that sign just gave a lot of information about the businesses mm-hmm. right. that were down there, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, boom, that was Mr. So-and-so, you know, it was Miss. Okay. It gave some information. Yeah, I, I hope yeah. it goes back up. Yeah. The gave, cool thing about that is, you know, the names. When you see the, the last names and you still, oh, yeah, I went yeah. to school with her. That I, was know, her. I, don't know, I don't know they were part, you know, just like the That's Mr. The Johnson. They had that. Okay. The yeah. 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 There. yeah. Yeah, so it was, was cool. the connections. You're right, Sherry. It's the connections and, you know, that. Well, and I think um, just the, you know, things on a wall don't make sense until you have a name with it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, wait a minute. I know, I know. Eaton, I know Williams, I know, you know, Mm -hmm. Gurley, I know Stratford, whatever. Like those are, those are just, you know, we like stories as people, right? right? We want to, we want to wrap a story around everything and for good reason. It helps make those connections. Mm -hmm. It does. You know, I just think when that was down there, a young person just could go up there and look at all of those, those names of all of those businesses and take that back with him or her, you know, they could do that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've heard of something that the Centennial Commission is putting together, and I think it will be, it will be cool. I think there's some geographic way-making. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to have an app that's going to be in, in some way either augmented or virtual reality where you'll be able to oh, have take a lot your phone of, up there and do something. Well, yeah, and have some information conveyed to you about, you know, certain parts of the district. And, and then I really do think the pathway to hope. Um, you know, to, to be able to bridge John Hope Franklin back to, you know, back to Archer and Greenwood and then over to the Cultural Center in Vernon. I think that will be able to create a trail. I, you know, I think one thing that's lost and, you know, Patrick, who called in, alluded to it is, you know, Greenwood is was huge. 
I mean, it yeah. was, you know, 35, oh, 37 sure. square yeah. blocks. And now, you know, we just think of it as that little train. <laughs> yeah. as, as what Bobby said, deep greenwood. Don't get caught. Yeah. Don't get caught in deep greenwood. You know, but like that's that's what people's perception. I, I is. wish that people would not only just talk about greenwood, but man, we forget about Lansing. Sure. I'm just. I mean, we just act like it never existed. And you know what? Lansing was booming, man. Just they had the Regal Theater down there. They had. Thompson's Barbershop, Bell Bonds, Pool Halls, nightclubs, ice cream parlors, all, all kind of stuff was on Lansing. But we just don't acknowledge Lansing at all, man. Okay. Nobody never really talks about it. Maybe and I'm just like, too. I'm like, why? It's been erased. It's been erased. Your freaking brain. I mean, it's the erased. space has changed. So when you clearly smooth out, there's no reason to go down space. on Lansing. Okay, you have IMSA. Okay. Yeah, you, you have, got, uh, you have Mort- life senior service. And Mert Morton. Okay. You that's have it. look the shop, the where I go get my hair cut, the barber. So yeah. good. That's all but I went to church there. I was always on Lansing uh, on Sundays mm-hmm. and went to the candy store next door to the church. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have memories of that. I that's do too. only because you know, it was there. Like I said before, when you take a space and how they did from um Harbor, the train tracks all the way down to Peoria and cleared all of that space out and it stayed vacant for well over 20 years. And then you start to rebuild. Of course, you're going to go there. But what, what happened? And people that come, that's a generation. They look at, well, oh, I don't know. It wasn't people don't know. And that's why that is why we do people do the things that they do when it comes to our space. I have friends of mine that were she was in the. She was in. I don't know if it was Iraq or whatever, but she said they would literally, below uh, ma- mountains would just come down and crumble. So a mountain is a landmark. So once you remove a landmark, you you just disintegrate a space in people's memory of that. That's a landmark. Your landmark is no 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 longer there. How do you expect anyone to maneuver, unless you know the stars and whatnot? But you know. It, <laughs> But that's just that's well. How that's we what do. happened. That's, that's what, what happened. We, that's what has been done. You know, I, I left here years ago. I've been back here going on four and a half years, and I've combed my community and went through, and it's just so much missing now. Mm-hmm. It's just so much missing, and it's, uh, it's so just, it worked, huh? Yeah. So it worked now. Yeah. So <laughs> it worked. It worked. And if it, if people don't fight for spaces if the, if we do not fight for these spaces that are left that's what's going to happen to the other spaces well, just like all that mm-hmm. space on em- like mm-hmm. emerson mm-hmm. i remember maine i remember plain stay okay they talked but about that years ago again years ago it looks empty it's going to stay empty but gradually, you see the $200,000 homes coming up behind Emerson. Oh, for sure. So all of that space is just being changed. It takes 20 years of what it takes to get you to forget what a space looks like. So if it's been wiped clean and it's set empty and vacant for 20 years, you don't see. You just drive through. The hottest spot, the hottest real estate in Tulsa right now, right by, Pioneer across from Pioneer Plaza, Plaza right in, up, yeah. in Maine. 
Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. they gonna take all them people out of Pioneer Plaza someplace and display. Oh all yeah, them. they are Pioneer Plaza. Pioneer Plaza is the lick. They probably mean, they probably tear it down. Eyes looking down over. They may tear it down okay. and build a new one. Okay, but I don't know how long Pioneer Plaza has been in this been space. There. Been there a place long time. for a long time. But when we yeah. talk about real estate property and what's available, OSU is never going to build any condos for the students there in that space. They're just not going to do it. They haven't done it in thirty years. Well, so those are hot spots. You know, I, I and I hundred percent understand that perspective of of what you're describing. I do think though, I do think at least with respect to that Greenwood corridor and, and in and around Lansing, I do think you're going to see there be more focused attempts to say, wait a minute, why is this, why is this a floodplain? Why is this a surface parking lot? Why is this, what, this is not the highest and best use of this land. And, <laughs> and, and again, what, yeah. what, whether or not it ends up being as inclusive as it should be, mm-hmm. you know, I do think you're going to see development occur because people are saying exactly what we've been saying is, well, wait a minute. If they can do it, why can't we? Right. And then also, why why are we sitting here talking about stuff being gone? Let's do something about it. And you know, and and I do think from the perspective of the citizenry, you know, when you do realize that, you know, there is a way to accomplish these things. And then there's a, there's a responsibility on, on behalf of either the municipality or the county or the state to adhere to, you know, regulations and obligations that it made to the federal government when, when it used funds to purchase these mm-hmm. lands or clear these buildings. And, you know, a, a lot of that is, it's, it's the education that, that we, that we've talked about. I, you know, there are methods to make that happen and, and, and it should happen. I mean, you know, there was, there was a criticism of, of, you know, land banking in certain communities for, mm-hmm. for too long. And the city of Tulsa had its hand slapped by HUD for, you know, that taking place, you know, and, and then TDA goes through a, you know, a period of, of redevelopment, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say, okay, wait a minute, let's respond to that. And let's, let's get these projects and these properties back out there to be redeveloped. That was the original intent. And so, and then, you know, in some cases unfairly criticized in some cases fairly criticized for, for the handling of it. You know, I, I just go back to the notion that there are so many moving parts in how we got here. Mm-hmm. But the good thing about that is that there, there are avenues to shape what's going to happen going forward because of those moving parts and their interrelationship to, mm-hmm. you know, to the federal government and to, and to laws that require, you know, equal protection and equal access and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, more justified development. So you say justified development. Yeah. I just, I think there's, you know, there's a, it's hard to say you can use a mechanism for the acquisition of something and then not benefit from those equal protections on the disposition of that land. You know, it would be a very difficult position to defend. And, and it's not one that I, I think you're going to see, HUD defend ever. So, and and that's why I'm optimistic about the removal of the IDL, you know, at least the North leg of it. I think you're going to see enough of a, of a wellspring of people saying (laughs) we don't need it. And it's placement was entirely not 
equal, right? It was a, it was a, it was a, I, I don't want to call it racism because it's hard for concrete to be racist, but mm-hmm. it was put, <laughs> it was put there with an improper motive. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I can see change taking place as the system moves towards pine. Everything's moving towards pine. Mm-hmm. But North Tulsa, you got North Tulsa all the way out to 56th Street coming. North. It's coming. Huh? It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Like, it's, it's coming. Well, and it, you know, <laughs> I can see it moving. I can see it slowly moving, coming in this direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I look up here at Pine and Peoria, where I'm at right now, I can see the gentrification taking place with the McDonald's, the Quick Trips, uh, the Taco Bells, the Burger Kings. I can the see bike, it the bike lanes. The bike lanes. I can see it all moving <laughs> this way. Tell me how you how you both, you know, respectfully, how you both define that word gentrification. What does it mean to to both of you? Gentrification means to me is when you actually move into a community basically without consulting the community, the needs of the community. You just want to come in and just put whatever you want to put, you know, and uh, you just want to set your own personal narrative of what you think the com- the community needs. Is Is gentrification always on the basis of race? It has a lot to do with it. Solely on the basis of race. I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say why. yes, too. Okay. Places that I've gone, okay, when I travel, I do a lot of traveling. Okay, let's start with Chicago for an example. Cabrini Green, mm-hmm. the worst, the absolute worst. But do you remember where it was in Chicago? I know exactly where it was because I lived down the street from right. it. Right. Okay. And so you, you know so when they tore it down, they mm-hmm. built the Target. But while they tore it down, they were building up those properties, mm-hmm. those mixed income uses buildings okay same thing but then they left pockets they left pockets that were like oh this is strange i mean millions like three level most of them were like three level they were not the high right right per mm-hmm. and this is what i'm talking about yeah they were the, the from, brownstones you're from chicago well went so, to school there yeah okay so you you got around so you know where clark street sure is, clark and division okay mm-hmm. division goes all the way across right all right so right there i think it's clyborne or yeah. something yeah that's mm-hmm. right where um well what is the beer place the um no oh, gosh goose, goose, goose island, island was yes. right there yeah. right because that's where the power plant was okay so when you travel down division from like downtown mm-hmm. to out to um, the suburbs, straight down division, straight yeah, down west. division, west, going west. Yep. You actually see, sort of like when you drive down Peoria, you actually see. So while I'm in that space, I'm looking at the houses, the new condos that they built, and I'm looking at Bill Stewart, um, you know, the, the playground right there, up, right up on division. Oh, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay, it's like a little place, Stewart Park or something okay. like that. And right behind it, you know, they 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 had bought those spaces and built new condos and whatnot. So a gradual process of anything of low value, okay, sell it, build a new condo, that space there. You go over to, I um, think it's North Avenue, mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah, that and whole you, River North area is just you know, exploded. Exactly. So, but then the people that were originally living in those spaces, regardless of their income, and that go in and you purchase and you build, 
And the lady that still has a little house, Lord, she still has it. She can no longer afford to pay the taxes. So she's going to have to do one or two things. She'll lose her house in a move. tax sale or she moves. Or if she's lucky, she'll sell and get a little bit of something and move into one of the senior buildings that they made available in the community. But is that income-based or is that? That's income-based. And most of the time it's with people of color. Of color, of course. Okay. Well, I, I haven't got down to Brownsville yet. I have, right. It's just totally different. So in that space, I saw that happen. Okay, I go to Milwaukee. Same thing in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot, of brown, a lot of brown people oh, look like they're going to do some things. So just recently, I went to Omaha, Nebraska for the first time in my life. And this girl is driving down the street with a bike lane. She said, we just got our bike lanes two weeks ago. We just got ours this week. Same thing. Our boy, what's the rich man's name with the glasses? Help me with him. Oh, God. Billionaire. Who? In Omaha? In Omaha. Yeah, you know, Warren Buffett. Warren, Warren Buffett. Buffett. Warren Buffett has, you know, the philanthropic capitalism, has gone in, built these cute little apartments, multi, you know, mixed income houses. Okay, but you're still in the hood, but you still have this open space. And it's mostly black people. You still got a family dollar around the corner, but it's a gradual gentrification. My friend, she has a house in a certain neighborhood. Bought her house for little or nothing, but everybody's moving in, buying those houses really cheap, tearing them down, or you know, rebuilding whatever. Property values going up. Okay, we got to deal with that. Well, she's retired; she can she can afford to do that. But in a lot of spaces, you can't do that. So let me get back to. Okay, Brady Heights back in the eighties. You know, was looking kind of yeah, yeah. The old ladies lived there. You know, couldn't afford to move, so they stayed. So when people started moving in, it turned back, it turned into a black neighborhood. All right. Some of the houses, I could have bought a house in Brady Heights for like $50,000, dirt cheap. 20,000, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. dirt cheap back in the 80s. Greg Robinson's daddy was the one selling them. Okay. So with houses that they had, they belonged, I don't know what, what type of real estate thing that they had going on, but they had a lot of old houses sitting on the record that they had to get rid of. So fast forward today. A lot of the people, that used to be a whole black neighborhood when I was growing up. Yes, it was. People. But now you go through there, all of those people that I knew that lived in those spaces moved, displayed, mm-hmm. got rid of their houses, sold their houses, couldn't afford to keep their houses, died, you know, that kind of thing. Property value real, real low. Somebody from somebody new to the neighborhood, well, I think I can, I think I can do something with this. Okay, so they'll move in. Buy the house, fix it up, sell it for two hundred thousand. Oh, I think flipping is a big thing now. To me, that's gentrification when the people that are originally there are displaced for whatever reason. Okay. Can't afford to stay in their neighborhoods anymore. Is there a distinction between the types of transactions? So, if you had someone who sold because, hey, either I don't think I can afford to live here any longer, or my basis in this property is nothing, and I see an opportunity to make a dollar. Is that different? From the, the standpoint of the seller versus the motives of the purchaser? The seller may be in a situation where they can't afford it and they need the money. Well, and the property value, they, they've been being literally pushed out of their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've been conditioned as a society, right, that our largest, most of our largest assets for most folks are their homes, right? And, and well, I guess I'm... Yeah, I'm, you're I'm, right. You're right. I'm asking. We've been conditioned. 
certain communities have been conditioned, their biggest asset is your home. Almost any community, though, But in right? other spaces, you're taught to invest in the market, so you diversify, okay? Well, so, again, in financial, you talked about financial literacy, two totally different paradigms for some people, for some people. I still think, though, if you look at participation in the financial markets, you know, the equities markets, the fixed income markets, that's still a relatively small proportion of the United States as a whole. You mm-hmm. know, you, right. it, it isn't as prevalent as home ownership. Home ownership was, you know, across all, was across race, was across gender, was across income level. We were conditioned to believe that your largest asset is your home. And if that is the case, and you do have a liquidity event, you have an event that requires cash. Mm-hmm. How, mm-hmm. how do you generate that? You know, it's typically through the sale of a of a home. And or you can, like you said, the bank. You can borrow. You can borrow if, against if, it, right? If, 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 if you have, if, if you, you can get the if, loan, if yeah. you're credit, you qualify if you qualify for the loan, you qualify. Right. You qualify. I guess, I guess, from my perspective, as a looking at it as a developer, I'm I'm asking the question from the standpoint: Should the motivations of the seller ever be considered in that transaction, or are they is it are they immaterial? It doesn't matter why they sold; it's just the fact that it was sold. No, the sellers, the sell, the reason why they're selling it, it should be thought, you know, it should be material. It should be why are you selling your property? And. And I ask that because I, I think about how, you know, Lester acquired, you know, Mr. Springer acquired the properties that, you know, that are over there on Greenwood, where mm-hmm. 21 and where Greenwood rising. So mm-hmm. at, at some point in time, somebody felt like it was okay or, or they should have, or they sold to Lester Springer. Right. right. And then, so there's always, I guess, from my perspective, I always look at it and say, okay, the motivations of the purchaser typically are pretty clear. Hey, I think this is going to be worth more in the future than it is today. So I'm going to buy it at this price. I'm going to buy it at this price, hopefully. But then, then I, I don't know if enough attention is paid to the motivations of the seller. You know, what, what, right. you know, we can, we can presume and assume just by the part of town or, or what we think their income level is mm-hmm. or what we think their financial wherewithal is, but that isn't always the case. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. people have genuine needs for liquidity and they sell. And that isn't a way to, to justify anything. I just think if we're going to look at it, I think we have to look at it in the totality of those circumstances and say, okay, you know, typically when you sell something, unless it's a forced sale, unless it's a tax, uh, you know, it's a, it's a eminent domain or somebody couldn't pay their taxes so that the tax man takes the house. But I think in private transactions, you know, you, you got to consider the motivations of the seller too. Uh, well, in a lot of these, a lot of the people in North Tulsa, the people that own their houses outright yeah. are like my parents' age, mm-hmm. about like 80-something years old, okay? So they're looking at, you know, oh, they're not going to be here that much longer, but not necessarily thinking about they may have family members or children that they want to leave their, quote, unquote, legacy or, you know, a, quote, unquote, head, a leg up. Right. And then sometimes that property needs so much work that the people that they want to leave it to don't necessarily have the finances or the resources to do it. Up for upgrade. For up, and, they, and they may even go to a mm-hmm. bank thinking that, well, yeah, I, the property, I got it. But the bank won't even lend, lend it to them, mm-hmm. but they will lend it to you, the developer. Well, well and, that's, and, and that's why, you know, 
I was discussing the notion of why do we have that line that says race and why do we have that line that says gender mm-hmm. on any kind of loan application? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it should just be your credit worthiness. Should be, but it's not. No, no, no. Yeah. Again, yeah. I'm not. And I'm, that's I'm systematically not, designed right. to be that way. No, 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm not polyamorous. I got you. I understand. Yeah. You know. But I, I do think, you know, to me, gentrification has always been about the displacement of people. So I think we agree in that respect that it is, it is you had a population that was displaced, whether, and, and I don't necessarily view but, gentrification purely but as race. You know, what gets, what gets me about gentrification is these big corporate uh, businesses move into the community and take over the land, take over the property and everything, but they don't give nothing back. You know, but they I, don't, they don't, they, they don't give anything back to the community. Like you got quick trip up here. They don't give nothing back. What, what, what's, you your, know? what's your view of what Muncie's doing? So, you know, Muncie's... Well, you may have one or two people, one or two. I'm just talking about the majority of gentrification. They don't give anything back to the community. I'm not talking about one or two people or organizations. They don't give nothing back, man. I like Muncie. I like that whole idea of creating jobs and whatnot, but guess what? Here's the backside of that. Oh, we're going to hire people from the community. People from the community ain't ready to do that that job necessarily. They may not be able to pay pass a P test. Okay. Those no, well, no, that, that's, that, but, uh, but that, that's, that's not, real. that's not, that's real but that's not the majority jobs. of the people. That's the minority, that's the minority, which he's talking about. That's not the majority of North Tulsa. No, of course I'm not. Talk, no, 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 I'm no. not even saying that. No, I'm not even no. implying that. Okay. I'm just talking about when people go to apply for a job. Okay. Yeah. Are the people from the community even ready to get that job? Okay. So or do what, they I even gotta, know that there is a job? Right. That's but the issue. Even if they do know, let's say they get the job. The goal, the goal is for them to get the job, buy a house in the community, and stay in the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the money will circulate in the community. That was my takeaway with the mm-hmm. money. Which, which hopefully that's, that's what ends up that's happening. What, that's what, that's what, that's what, that's what we hope ends up happening. Yeah, that's and you know they're they're one happen. of good, yeah, that's a good deal with Muncie. I mean, on that particular one or two. But I'm saying the majority, the mass and systematic control to where they don't, they are million and million dollar companies, man. Big bank. They could be helping out children. They could be these children programs that are over here. They could be donating to this and helping that, you know, but they don't do it. You're talking about investing in the community. I'm talking about big corporate businesses who come over here, million, billion dollar companies who do not invest into the companies that they come into. They don't give it to a pocket full of hope or read community centers. Or, no, they're not. Uh, uh, no, they don't say, they well, to we're going to help you with this and we're going to, and they can afford to do it. There's no scratch off their back. When they donate their money, they know who they're going to donate their money to. And it's probably an organization that's already attached to some other. It's probably an organization, probably the nine times out of 10 that really, don't need the help quite as much as some of the ones who really need the need the help. That's what I'm saying. See, everybody don't know about Deep North Tulsa. Yes, they so, do. No, they don't. You know, <laughs> half the people never go. You live, and you know, we all live over here. Oh, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We know about it. You know, so if you don't know about, it, but you know about that. 
the head of North Tulsa, right here they on Pine, like Pine and you know, you know yeah, well, they some people that. go out there, you know, well, they know, they know how they to get there. The huh? They know about Oklahoma style barbecue. Yeah, right. They know how they go over to Oklahoma style, but right. They know about that. Rubicon. Eating places, they Rubicon, Oklahoma style barbecue, drive out to Evelyn's out by the airport, mm-hmm. the restaurants and stuff like that. They know about those places, but they don't know about Deep North, 46th Street North and Peoria, 56th Street over here in Cincinnati, these communities and neighborhoods. That they're learning. Some of them won't even come that deep. Yeah. Some people won't even, black, not just whites, but blacks too. Oh, yeah. no, they won't even come that, that, that deep because there's a perception of it's bad, you're going to get shot, ran over, a gang bang or something. That's the media portrays that in a negative way. So that's how you think. And think about it. The news. Oh yeah, the news when the factor. news come on, oh, so and so got shot. Fifty six North, North Tulsa, and that's all you hear about North Tulsa is the negative. There are more good people in North Tulsa than bad people. Well, There's a few little knuckleheads running around here doing some knucklehead stuff, and the rest of the people are just good, wholesome people, man. You know, they're good people. You know, but systematically being controlled. When you look at a community, when you look at Tulsa, they say population 400,000 people, and out of the 400,000 people, you only have 65,000 black people. And here in this, these are what the numbers and the facts say. Here in District 1, you have 33,000 people, and everybody else is dispersed in Owasso, Jinx, blacks. I'm talking about African Americans, everywhere else. And there are no economic development over here for jobs, for things, you know, then, hey, some people are going to turn to crime to feed their families and their kids and things like that just to have a life. But it's systematically controlled because blacks do not manufacture any drugs, any guns, or none of that. Of course not. You know, so, therefore, that's why you get the unemployment rate, you know, high and stuff like that. The penitentiaries are incarcerating all 68% of the penitentiary is black males. You know what I mean? So you got to look at the systematic control that's taking place, you know, and you got to educate your people, the little babies and stuff. We got to take them and educate them so they can have a sense of black Wall Street. Yeah, they need to know who all these superheroes were. We're standing on the shoulders of those who died before us, man. 100%. 100%. Hey, look, my grandfather built this building right here, Joe You're Eaton. standing on the shoulders of your ancestors. You know, my daddy allows me to be in here. <laughs> you get it's the ancestors, man. Does he know you're here right now? Probably so. <laughs> you know, that's the way they go. Exactly. Yeah, that's the way they go. You know, and, and we can all have different feelings about each other and stuff like that, but it is what it is. No, 100% it is what mm-hmm. it is. It is what it is. So, what you're doing down there is a great thing. It's good. I think I'll, I'm hoping and praying that people will come down there and congregate. And, and, you know, instead of five and six o'clock shutting down, there'll be some activity taking place down there where they can come outside of just going to lefties. You get what I'm saying? We want them everywhere. Yeah, we want them everywhere. So we'll have more cocktail places <laughs> to drink, right? Boy, who are you so telling? So. 
Well, hey, looks like, man, we come to the end of the show. Man, glad you could come here and uh, share all this information with us, man. It's been a great thing, a good thing. Thank you. I appreciate the hospitality. I appreciate the the questions. And, you know, I'm I'm an easy person to find. Anyone that wants to follow up on anything that we talked about, I'm usually on Greenwood somewhere. Great. All right. That's Kajir Yar right here in the house. Thank you, Kajir, for coming. All right. Thank you, man, for all of that information. Great. All right. We're here every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Me and Sherry Lasky is here on Mondays. And uh, we are taking donations over here. So, I mean, that's how we pay the bills, you know, through our little donations and stuff. For the Juice Radio Show, people are always asking me, what's the Juice Radio Show? Young people come in here every Thursday night, high school students all around. They do their radio program and stuff like that. I learn a lot from those young people, just them talking in general. So we're taking donations. 1533 North Norfolk here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, uh, man, we've had a great uh, conversation today. He's let us know about a lot of, about the information and the development taking place down on Greenwood. Is that right? You got something to share before we go? No, I am so happy that I've had this dialogue with Kajir. It gives me a better understanding of things that are going on, and especially from an aspect from a developer. And, yeah, I learned I learned a lot today. So thank you for sharing. All right. It's been it's been a good one. Till next time. Have a good one. Take care.
Mr. Groove Taylor as he takes you back to the 70s and 80s into the Groove Zone on KBOB 89.9 FM.